Welcome to the Artistic Director with Jacob Alexander Ferg. Today I am sitting with Adam Tucker. Adam, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Uh, we're at the Seattle uh, Festival of Improvised Theater. You are the first person that I've ever had on this podcast, and I'm really excited. Uh, Set the bar low. Yeah, yeah hey. this is the baseline. Uh, so, Adam, can you go ahead and just tell me uh, when you have been artistic director, and is there more groups in the Blue Door that you've been artistic director of? So I started at the Blue Door as the artistic director in December of 2013, yeah. I believe. And the Blue Door is a theater, an improv theater in Spokane, Washington. Yes. I had a kind of a directorial slash producing role in a sketch comedy group that kind of tried to do improv as well. It started off with three of us who were directing it, and I kind of ended up producing it, and then the other two dropped out. And then I got sick of it, and I dropped out. <laughs> And they did one more show without me and didn't do any more, which is kind of sad. Yeah, that's... Because <laughs> it was a fun group with a lot of really talented people, yeah. but like what happens in a lot of groups of talented people, they start to not... They start to have conflicts with each other and or not be actively yeah, they don't producing hold. anything. Yeah, exactly. Like they, don't hold, they don't cohese, which is like yeah. something that I'm uh, interested in. So I mean, this is going to be a very broad question, and you feel free to interpret it any way you want, but what would you say is your artistic direction? Oh, that is a really broad question. It's a question. very broad question. <laughs> when I started at, at, when I was doing the sketch group, it was just to make it happen. And as soon as we got done with the show, it was like, uh, uh, you know, you give them, they'd give me two days, and they'd be like, when is our next one? And I'm like, oh, fuck you guys. I mean, can, can I curse on <laughs> you? You can curse, absolutely. Fuck you guys. <laughs> you don't know how much went into putting that on. Yeah. So that for that sketch group, it was just on to the next thing. What mm-hmm. is the next thing? we got to start organizing when we're going to rehearse. We're going to need to start organizing if we're recording videos. When are we going to do that? And then not, that's just getting that set up. You actually have to have someone write them and come up with them. And that was a hard thing in itself. For the improv, when I started, I had a few goals that were in mind. And I pursued those. And quickly, life went a different <laughs> way. Uh, so like the first, one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to add a blue show to our lineup. Because before, we went like PG-13 at the most. And I was like, oh, you know, some places do blue shows. And, our, and on a scale of a blue show, ours was very much not a blue show. Like, yeah. there are some places where they, they go so deep and dark <laughs> and terrible. We actually had a spiel for the audience because when you advertise a blue show, people expect you to come out, you know, with all sorts of terrible, yeah. terrible things to say. We'd, be, we'd say we have the option to do that if we want. Sometimes people would. But I wanted a blue show. I wanted to add some other shows uh, and diversify the shows we had. But I also wanted to, you know, I wanted to get better quality. So I wanted to add extra workshops. It's kind of strange if you don't have too much contact with whoever was doing it before you. Because I knew the guy who did it before me and I would ask him questions a lot, but I didn't know everything he did. And one of the things he tried to do was have extra workshop times. Mm-hmm. And it took me like a year. Actually, I until I, I did it for three years. And even until uh, the very end, I was struggling with adding extra workshop times and having people attend them. One of the, I think, universal problems is getting the full cast of people 
together all at the same time, especially outside of organized time for workshops. Because I think outside workshops are super beneficial, bringing someone in and allowing them to provide their insight that no one would have provided. How, How have you approached the whole situation of trying to bring a cast together? At the Blue Earth Theater, we're a 100% volunteer nonprofit. So everybody who's there is volunteering their time. So that makes that problematic because you have a hard time forcing volunteers to do anything. You can suggest it. Mm-hmm. The thing, the amazing thing uh, with the extra workshop times is everyone was always verbally all for it. And then when it came for them to time to show up, that was lacking. So if you have an all-volunteer organization, I'm not sure how to solve that. It has been a problem the entire run of my time as the artistic director. That also goes with the quality thing is... Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm just looking off over no, here. No, no, it's fine. Yeah, it's you're like, like, I'm not ignoring you. I'm yeah, sorry. You're, you're concentrating on what you're saying. No, I... That also goes hand in hand with getting the quality of players up to a certain level. And in improv, especially, having them work together. Because yeah. in improv, you need to be able to trust the people you're with, and you need to bond with them, and you need to come up with a group mind. And that is incredibly difficult with a group of volunteers. I've heard of other improv groups over here in Seattle where we're at for the Festival of Improv Theater. They can bill me later for that plug. (laughs) They have stricter rules. And I think they can do that because there is such a bigger community here that they can do that. And there are other places that offer improv and people can go there. But I hate to say it, but I think having a more strict, these are the, having requirements, especially and having them spelled out. Yeah. As soon as someone joins the group, which is something we ended up, it was always evolving. We had a player contract and we, every little clause in the player contract had somebody's name to go along with it. Like, this is the, the Jason clause because Jason really screwed us over that time. So we have to add a clause. So I think having those things, if you're just starting out, or even if you're already existing, coming up with one, having those things spelled out in writing, uh, giving that document to the person for them to read, and then we would actually give that to them, and then we would read it to them out loud Mm -hmm. and have them sign it. So at least they would have that spelled out. Because when I first started, there there were some vagaries. Some things that are implicit, not explicit. Yeah, and it would be kind of more of like, oh, this is tribal knowledge. Well, mm-hmm. I'm new to this. I don't know what that is. No one's taught me. Yeah. So having those things spelled out in advance in writing gives you the ability to take action. If you have been doing a show and you have a requirement, like we had a Blue Door for players need to attend at least two practices a month. And then if you're doing a themed show or a specific long-form format, it is made for them to understand that they should practice that format before they're on stage. <laughs> and if they do not, then they should be made aware that they might not be in that show. Yes, yeah. And the, those type of things give you the ability to act and not have someone be like, well, that didn't work for, that's not, in yeah. that case, it didn't work, why is it for me? Well, we told everyone these are the rules. Yeah. And then, you know, if someone has a problem with the rules, then you need to tell them that sometimes they're extenuating circumstances where if someone has hired this group to do something and they request something, then that is goes yes, beyond yeah. the rules. Or if we don't have enough people to do the show, then that means the rules need to be adjusted. Yes. Yeah. And that gets difficult to... I had several times to 
to restate why these things happen. Why? Do, how do I cast shows? Well, it's it gets really complicated. I made a whole spiel about how I did it, and I would copy and paste it and put it in the in. We had like a, a forum where we would cast shows and talk about in shop stuff, and I would paste that every two months because that's when people would start complaining again. Yeah. Like, you remember that thing I said, right? Yes. Nope. I'm gonna paste that thing again. Yeah. Spelling out how that happens. So, do you think that? I'm going to give you a hypothetical. Say you're leading a group and there are five individuals in this group who are coming to practices regularly and investing the time and effort that is needed to translate the work on stage for a successful show. And you have two upcoming shows. Would you rather cast both weekend, both Friday and Saturday shows with those five individuals, even though there are other individuals who maybe haven't come to the practices? Or would you rather, so say there's like eight people who are available for a weekend would you rather split the five who have focused into two groups i feel like that is the more conventional answer is like oh it's like well okay there's not enough people when i was at the blue door that was sort of a problem also is that some weekends it's like, oh well we're kind of scraping for actual bodies to be in the show so it's do you think it would be effective to implement a thing where it's like even though there's people available if they haven't done it these people who are already in a show get to do another show because they're putting in the work or do you think that's going to start stepping on toes that's a good question. I would ask you, well, ooh. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, that is exactly one of the things that, as an artistic director, you have to deal with and make a decision on, and that will probably step on somebody's toes. It got to the point where when I started as the artistic director, I would cast an entire month, and then that started getting, I would cast two weeks out, and then I would cast a week out, and then it would got so bad that I would cast two days before, and I hate that. That's yeah, not that's... cool. Because people have lives, and we need to respect them if they're volunteering. If you're getting paid, then sorry, you deal with what you get. Yeah. Although you would want some structure. Really quick, do you think, where, where do you think the happy medium lies within how far out you should cast? That's the problem with what we were doing is having those people get their two minimum in and hopefully doing one that is of the format. If it's just short form, that I never considered, you know, that wasn't like, you need to be at the short form workshop. Everything is kind of applicable to short form. So for the long form one, if they weren't there and I had to wait for them, then I would have to make a choice. If it was that person and they weren't there and I can't do a show without them, then you have to make that choice. That, yeah. Yep, that person goes in. We can't do this format with two people and one person on sound. It's a tough choice. That, it's a hard balance. I would like to give people as much time as possible, but what would happen is people would either sign up for shows and not show up for the three weeks lead time that I had, and mm -hmm. I can't put them in at that point. Or... You know, I'd have to wait until the workshop before that show happened and make a decision then. What is a happy medium? Well, we've talked about that a lot. And I think casting the people you know are meeting the requirements in a general way, saying, hey, you're in the show. When we get a little bit closer to it, I'll define what your role is in that show. If you have a host or a specific, no. if your format has a specific person doing a specific thing. So at least they know that they're in that show and can plan to be in that show. And then when you get closer, you can assign specifics like tech or host or uh, the body. If it's the murder, chain murder, or whatever. Yeah. The murder show. Yeah, whatever show it is. Yeah. 
So I don't know that. That's the best I can come up with. Yeah, is, no. uh, you cast people in a general sense, and then when you get at least a little bit closer, you can cast them specifically based off of what people do and if they show up when they say they're going to and all that. Okay, so I want to move from this to how has it been and what have you done to try to take the entire cast and have them all going in the same artistic direction, and I'm doing air quotes uh, <laughs> because it's a podcast, but ha- because every every individual that comes into, especially with improv, that comes into a theater has their own idea of what they wish to gain out of this, oh, movie, yeah. how they wish to perform, and sometimes those ideas don't necessarily align with what the theater wishes to do or maybe what the specific format needs for it. So how do you find that balance to let the people who are part of your cast creatively have their own influence and not like stifle their voice, but also have a a cohesive feeling show every night? We did run into that problem in that we would audition people and they had a lot of we thought they had a lot of potential and then we found out they decided they were going to leave this is the thing i would say if people are deciding to leave your group do not chase them let them leave yeah do not be like why are you leaving please tell me oh well we can work on that no don't they've already decided they're never going to be happy with whatever you come up with so let them leave sometimes i think letting them leave for an extended period of time if they really want to come back they will come back also yeah sometimes people just need a year away from a theater to come back and feel refreshed and new oh yeah i am wholeheartedly in favor of taking breaks because then you can do other things and refuel yourself in other ways and you'll have a new perspective on it but so we had people come, and they were expecting, they did improv in New York, and they thought, oh, well, the UCBs are where I went, so that's the style that all improv is. Yeah. And then they show up <laughs> to another improv group that is not New York, that is the only one in a smaller town that exists and found a way to exist, and they're like, this is not the UCB, why is it not improv? Well, every group has its different style and the UCB that's wonderful they have a great style I love their teachings that doesn't mean I want to do a herald every damn week some groups have to come up with their own way to exist and there's that that whole balance of artistic doing something artistic and then making money to stay afloat so we came up with that and we had to when we auditioned people we would tell them hi we are not the ucb we are not io we are not the groundlings we are not second city if you're coming here expecting that that is not what we do we love to you know learn from them and take their teachings and apply it to this place but if you want us if you're expecting a specific style this might not be the right place for you But in terms of having people come from other groups, I found it great to see what their perspective is. And they have different ways of teaching things that we can benefit from. That's fantastic. And I would love to give them that chance to teach and show the different ways that they do things and see how we can apply it to our group. But there's a line with that. Okay, you you did a lot of improv in Portland and you came to where I was, Spokane, you might have done things a certain way and that's great, but that doesn't mean that's how we want to do them here. And it, it's then I've had people who had a problem with that. You need to realize if you're moving to a new place that it's a new theater and they have existed for X amount of time and they're going to have a way they do things. I'm not saying be stuck in 
a tradition, but you should always be evolving. If the people of a theater you are joining decide that that's not, or the artistic team, or the, an artistic director decides that's not the way they want to go, then you need to respect that decision. Yeah, absolutely. And then if you're the artistic director and you're like, all oh, these people want to do a Herald... I don't want to do a Herald, then come up with a way for them to do a Herald. So we would come up with a show where you can have your own group do that show. We had it, you have to have someone who's involved in our theater, but you can have outside people. And we would expect you to practice and be a good cohesive group because we don't want to put you on stage if you're just not practicing and suck. But having that spot available to people who are like, oh man, I want to try this. We want you to try that too, but it's yeah. not going to be, it's not something we've planned out for our regular shows. So having that extra option for an extra show or for people to try things is wonderful. But you do still have to have some sort of quality or you're not going to have an audience to support that show. And if you don't have an audience to support that show, then you're back to the artistic versus existing there's a fine line between personal style and technical style. But UCB is a great example where the, the game that they teach is brilliant if everyone on stage is playing the game. If everyone on stage is, when the scene starts, seeking out the game and wishing to play it. It works incredibly smoothly, actually. It's very fun to watch, but I have experienced personally, and I know you have too, that where one person is looking for the game and the rest of the people on stage maybe aren't necessarily looking to play the game immediately. They they can understand what the game is, but maybe they want to let a scene go for a little bit longer and not just immediately get into kind of what the bit of the scene is. When you inject one person with a different technical style into that, I've seen shows fall apart relatively quickly because of that. That's what my perception of an artistic direction is, is giving a group of people a technical style to follow through on. But then there's a very muddy line or fuzzy line between what is technical style and what is personal style. Uh, there's a lot of people with personal styles at the blue door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's hard, too, because those people with different styles can bring a lot to something, but if they're all pulling in different directions in a show, then that's gonna that might destroy the show. Yeah. So then you want to practice a certain format or mechanic for a show, and I think that gives people more confidence because there's some sort of structure to rely on and to go forward with. But some people hate structure, yeah. and they want freedom to go wherever the show will go. I have not found that that is more experienced versus less experienced. Mm -hmm. I found that there's a mix of people that like yeah. that. And Just personal preference. Yeah. And there's fun things about both of those. But when you have a mix of people who like structure and a mix of people who don't, then that, like you said, becomes a problem. And that might be a thing where you're like, hey, guys, uh, who hate structure, I know you don't like it, but this is a show that we do that is all about cop shows, which yeah. is a show we've done at the Blue Door. So that has a structure. It, you know, There's certain elements that happen in a cop show that you teach people, and it doesn't mean that you have to do that. Uh, it just means that those things are there in their mind to use. And then you talk to those other people that don't like structure and be like, hey, remember where we said we had this whole show slot where you can do it, you know, get your own group? And you want to do freeform improv? There you go. Here you go. Yeah, here you we go. gave you the option. If you don't want to take the option, then don't complain. But yeah. they always complain. I would say in terms of structure, actually, I think the most effective... 
you were talking about writing things down earlier. The most effective way that I've ever been presented the structure for a show has actually been at the Blue Door. When there's a few shows, I'll use No Clue for an example, which is the Halloween show, where the players, or at least I have been presented with an actual flowchart. Like oh, yeah. a, a flowchart where there is a square and it says the show begins, the host introduced the show, and then it flows down into the guests arrive at this hotel and they are somehow trapped within the hotel. I've also received just typed out sort of word documents of what the show is supposed to be, and it's hard to translate that into a visual thing where I think the simplicity of the flowchart, when you're presenting a structure, even if it's a complex structure, the more simple that you can present it to the cast, the more likely everyone is to be on the same page, and that's the struggle. Oh, yeah, <laughs> especially with that show, No Clues, the murder mystery kind of based off of the movie Clue. That gets complicated. I took a whole, like, there was a flowchart made by Frank Tano, the artistic director that came up with that format, and it worked. That's the thing. You, If you learned in high school, they might have made you take a test to figure out what type of learner you are. Some people are visual learners. Some people have to see you demonstrate it. Some people can read it from a book and know. I think the flowchart works really well, and I made one for the one show I made, and most show, of it was... Which show is that? Sorry. I, I did the crime show one. Oh, that's The right. cop show. Yeah. And I, you know, I just saw my stepfather and mother every time I'd go over to their house. They were watching cop shows. And I'm like, I caught them watching someone they've already watched before. And I'm like, are you serious? So, no, that was interesting because I know that was interesting how that came about. But having a flow chart, having some way to do it, because No Clue has always been the hardest one to teach Mm -hmm. because there are so many different elements. So much so that we eliminated... I eliminated one of them, and I know that that wasn't what Frank wanted, because he came back and didn't like that it was gone, but, the, you know, you have to do what you have to do. You're, if, if you're the artistic yeah. director and someone else came before you and you're going to adjust their shows, you have to do it to your how you think will work best. I'm, I'm curious, what, what element of the show did you eliminate? Uh, the whole, the short-form games. Oh, yeah, okay, I... I will officially put on the record that I agree with that decision. <laughs> well, it, it, it ended up being because uh, we'd have a mechanic where you do a short-form games and a long-form show, which is cool, but it was based off of one person's... It was their job to introduce it, and yeah. if they're not paying attention, we try to do an hour, 20-ish long show. There was one that went like an hour and 50 minutes because oh, that man. got all messed up, and I, it was torture... Yeah. I was up in the yeah. booth and I was so pissed off. Like, this is not, oh God, how can I, I have to let this play out? Because that's the problem with a structured show. Yeah, You have to let it play out along the structure. Uh, you can't cut it short if they have to have a murderer at the end. Yeah. In the, <laughs> anyways. So, uh, so I'm curious about the act of, as you enter into a theater that's been previously established by someone changing a show like you were talking about or adding a new show how do you go about doing that while still bearing in mind the integrity of not only the theater but the shows itself and when you add a new show you inevitably have to remove an old show so it's how do you keep that whole transition going and fluid and how do you still represent the theater through those shows well, what happened for me the first year I did it was the artistic director is the there are the Blue Door Theater is run by a board of directors and for the first year I did it they picked the entire show lineup. So uh, we would had a monthly show that would be long form and 
they picked it all for me, and at first I was a little annoyed by that. But yeah. as I went through it, I'm like, I'm glad they did that because that means I don't have to make my own show. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't have to. I know what's coming. I can prepare for that, and it was a good way to do the first year. After that, I put in the schedule. Pr- the, I proposed the schedule, and I put in slots where it's like, all right, in March, we're doing a new show. What is it going to be? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'll Hopefully I'll come up with it by then. And by then I came up with the crime show format. The other one I did was Stupid Cupid, which was a format based off of around Valentine's Day where Cupid was kind of a all-powerful person telling the story and would jump in and out in... Kind of like dime store novel. Okay, yeah. Where you have the you would kind of be an interaction between the people in the story and a narrator. So Cupid was almost like omnipotent to the story. Yeah. And all right, that's that's interesting. Actually, I wasn't around for that show, so that's. Uh... It didn't go well. Okay. Because, yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing is you never know how things are gonna go. Yeah, when you add a new show, exactly. And it's good that I think that's a very powerful thing to acknowledge that like okay, we're trying we tried a new thing and it didn't quite work out because that's. The risk that you take with any oh, yeah. format. And, you know, it's the, you're taught in improv that you should try to fail. Failing's okay. I love the idea of that format, and I know that I've talked to other artistic directors that have introduced shows. You know, they were in love with them, and they did not go mm-hmm. over well. I love that one, and I think that if it had a... Whoever Stupid Cupid was has to be a strong player and has to be able to jump in and interrupt things and not feel like they're stepping on toes and i think that's why it didn't work we didn't practice that enough but yeah you can you can i you can dissect your show and why things happened all the live long day and as for like the after darks uh the blue shows i added i basically was just like i want to do a blue show and well they're like what do you mean what do you want i'm like well we do our long form shows were always clean and family friendly and I basically was just like why don't we just add we have this theater we that we only use and we have a slot of time after that show happens why don't we just add another show after it I tried to do the, you do the soft sell yeah. and try to make it as palatable as possible so people don't freak out and then you can adjust things <laughs> they give you an okay uh <laughs> Uh, so basically, I was just like, "All right, let's take the format we're already doing for the month, and let's add a show that's that comes right after it." And it's the same format, but in that format, we can say "fuck," and that was the easy sell. They're like, "Well," and you know, you even even if you have like a board of directors and you have people that you have to sell this to, they're like, "Let's try it for three months and see what happens." And if it sucks, we don't have to do it anymore. If it catches on, more revenue. Proposing something that you won't be married to forever, that you can stop, that has the potential to make more money, usually will work if you have the people who will do it. And that was the other thing, is do we have enough people who Mm -hmm. will sign up for that? And most of the time we have... I think it's important. I like no restriction shows, not because it's... Funda, is there someone at the door? There's someone at the door. Um, okay, I'll, I'll finish this. I, I like those restriction shows because it's good to not have uh, any restrictions on you. If you you don't have to say fuck, but if you want to say fuck in a show, you can. Okay, talk about that for a second. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe this will just be a narration. Jake doesn't know what I'm saying right now. Okay. This will be something for later. Um, it's 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 my mom. My mom was at the door. I didn't get to say too much. Okay. So it's not going to be a surprise later. <laughs> 
So I think it's, uh, we're, we're talking, okay, let me just, like, I'm going to go back to this question because I really think it's an interesting thing to explore is that the Blue Door, the most explicit that we got for a while, at least when I was performing, was a PG-13, maybe, like, during a safari, you can, like, eke out a fuck in a in a once in a blue moon and that and i i really respect family friendly comedy i really respect keeping the comedy more focused on wit uh than being explicit but there's also there's an added pressure with performing with any sort of restriction upon you which is kind of again even a, even like a technical style uh restriction which is i think why some people really don't like technical shows did you notice like a, a did you notice a different quality of shows when you did After Dark? W- were the improvisers improvising in a different way, or was it pretty much just like the same old show when and people were saying fuck a little bit more? <laughs> <laughs> I I really I started off doing high sc- high school improv, which had to be clean, yeah. and then I went to comedy sports, which is clean. And I always ha- I have a respect for people who can do it clean as well because you're not relying on those good old hey I've said fuck. Yeah. Hey, I said shit. Oh, I'm doing a thing about shitting and fucking. Uh, haha, those, the classic improv exactly, scene. Exactly. The classic <laughs> improv scene. Uh, that's low hanging fruit. I think a well placed shit and a well placed fuck yeah, is fantastic. Definitely. Uh, but I think that the overall thing I always tried to stress with the shows where people can say shit and fuck is that even though you can say shit and fuck, you still have to do good improv. You are not. You should not be going. Ha ha! I'm shitting and fucking all over your face, uh, just to make a joke. And I, I, I can't wait for that to be isolated for a thing later. Yeah, I would uh, love to see that improv scene actually. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm shitting and fucking all over your face. It's Scheiße Essen in the yeah. German. Oh, from what I've heard. That's great. Have those things if they relate to the scene that is happening right now. And it is organic, and it makes sense to what is happening. If you have a scene where you're in a hospital and your father's dying, and you're like, "Hey, Dad, I'm shitting and fucking right now," yeah. that's forced. Like yeah. you're going for that low-hanging fruit. Yeah. So even though we can go dirtier, and by relative standards of blue shows, we did not go that dirty. All of that has to come organically through good improv. And here's the fun, interesting trick about it is. For a lot of those shows, we said, oh, this is an After Dark. This is a blue show. We can say anything we want. We can get all sorts of raunchy. And we wouldn't. But we'd we'd trick all these people into coming and seeing the show that are expecting that. And they would see a good improv show. And they would be satisfied. And they'd forget about, oh, yeah, I came to see him do a bunch of shit and fucking jokes. And I didn't get him at all. But they were still happy that it was a good show. I've performed in a lot of shows that you know had the option of being R-rated and then just don't just don't because that it doesn't feel natural in that moment that's that comes back to I think the most difficult part of leading an artistic group which is providing them with direction but making it feel natural the whole entire way through so when you rehearse with people how do you get a group to cohese the first thing is having people actually showing up. So oh, yeah. Like- <laughs> so that's a good... That's exactly... That's like the baseline hope. Yeah. So let's just assume hypothetically that everyone's showing up. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I... And I kind of fell into this, and I, I really liked it. I'd add new people, either through auditions or once or twice. There were established 
well-trained improvisers that showed up and I gave them a trial period where they just could come to our workshops. I only did that twice. But for auditions, we would add new people and then there'd be these new people would just show up and all the other people were like, who's this new person? I don't know who the hell that is. And the new person's like, fuck, I don't know who these people are. I'm, I'm feeling self-conscious. So I got in the habit of starting off workshops before we even warmed up, getting in a circle and then having people introduce themselves and say something that has happened to them recently, either good or bad, over the last week and we would cheer for them regardless, which comes up with some interesting things where it's like, my dog died, and you all look at each other like, oh, God. And But the thing is, you have to cheer for him. Yeah. <laughs> Yay! Yay! <laughs> but no, I thought that was a good way, and I kept it because I thought it was a good way for people to try to learn more about each other and be like, oh, man, you know, Bob is usually super jovial, but he's down now. I wonder what happened. And Bob's like, well, I lost my job. Well, now you have some sort of understanding of what's happening with Bob. So I thought just on a baseline, basic kind of thing, that that is a good way for them to get to know each other and be supportive of each other. Because, you know, you might have some sad thing that happened to you and having a bunch of people know about it and cheer for you and then later on come in and give you a kind word. So that was one thing I tried I started with and I liked. I don't know how successful it was, but I definitely learned more about people I didn't know about. Well, I think it's... I, I want to keep going, but I think it's important. I've heard this idea in theater a lot, which is you should check your baggage at the door. Oh, like, yeah. You should leave it. But that's... I think that's oversimplifying what it means to be a, a living and human because things happen during the day and whether you like it or not they can affect you and there's a certain merit to it where it's especially if you're doing a show the audience doesn't care how terrible your day is like they're just here to oh, see yeah. a good show but I still I think that's super important in terms of what bonding is what in, in terms of like getting to know each other yeah and that's one thing we addressed I've heard that too yeah. and it has some merits and it has some detractions I don't know if that's the right word like you said we're human it's hard to do that and that's one of the things we talked about in the player contract we set up based off of the experience we had with some folks, is if you've had the worst day of your life, maybe you shouldn't be at Blue Door Workshop to do improv. If you feel that you can get over it and this is going to be healing and helpful for you and you can do it without bringing the entire group down, or you know, then come and do it. That's great. But if you need time, don't force it. Go deal with the thing that happened in your own way and come back when you're more able to be productive. Because that's, a, you know, you have people that have a terrible day and they show up, oh, my dog died. Yeah. That's, you know, like you said, we're supposed to cheer for that, but, oh, fuck, how are we going to yeah. cheer for that? And that person's not really there. They're yeah, not they're really not in the, in the right headspace yeah. to be able to learn anything. And you feel for that person. You don't want them to... It's like that whole that whole old joke, the Simpsons joke, where Homer is about to do stand-up at Burns' birthday party, and right before he goes on stage, yeah. some lady runs out and says, a dog was run, a puppy was run over in the parking lot, and everyone's like, oh, and now for the comedy stylings of Homer Simpson, uh, you know, and we had, I've been in a group where that, something like that happened. That's not the right headspace for that. So yeah, give those people time to heal and figure out what they're doing. Leave that at home? Well, you can't leave that at home. Go home and deal with it or deal with it how you need to deal and heal. It's interesting getting to know about people and things they've done and what their one thing from their week and what that was like. Yeah. 
Other things we tried to do was a lot of group mind games and bonding games or like exercises. Tried to come up with new ones. If you have those, you should post them somewhere for other artistic directors because they're hard to come up with. Yeah, that's that's a good idea. Create your own if you can, but you know, those things, creating your own thing comes with inspiration out of nowhere or out of something that you're not really expecting. And that is hard to come by. Other things we tried to do to get people to bond as a group was create outside things for people to do. After shows, it was traditional that people would go and hang out at a bar, or if you had underage people, go to a restaurant. That started to wane, and that people stopped doing that. Yeah. I think because one of the members, Frank, who loved to go out and eat, it was also almost kind of an interesting sideshow to watch him eat, because the, <laughs> the super in-shape Asian guy who can eat a giant triple patty hamburger and never show it It is baffling it was baffling truly baffling uh if you ever hear this i love you frank oh he's Um, probably gonna be on the show i can't wait to hear about him you know he stopped coming so you can have that linchpin person in a group that facilitates that type of stuff and then they stop doing it you can lose that so we tried to have like a night once a week where either people would get together at the theater and do board games or watch. We One thing I really loved but kind of petered out was it was called Bad Movie Night. And we'd encourage people to bring the worst movie they could and we would vote on it and we would watch it. And it was almost kind of like uh, MST3K where we would all be heckling it. I remember one guy, shout out Jake Sanders, he brought Titanic 2. And we watched Titanic uh, 2. Spoilers, the boat sinks again. Again, yeah. <laughs> But no, um, creating those extra things for people to do and bond together is, I think, is a great way to get that bonding on stage. But once again, we're going back to that baseline of people need to show up and people stopped showing up to those things. The biggest problem I saw as I was as I stepped down as the artistic director in a thing that developed was player apathy. I have no idea how to... I tried everything I could to try to combat that, and I'm not sure how to deal with that. That is an interesting difficulty, and that's... Honestly, one of the solutions is maybe if you if you don't have the... I've seen this in a few theaters before. Oh, I've done my run as the artistic director. I've acknowledged that that happens, and maybe passing the torch, so to speak. How is the process of coming to the conclusion of ending your role as artistic director and passing it over to the next team? I think I agree with you that with the player apathy that I had tried everything I could and I didn't know what else to do. So I think having a new person step in and who might have new ideas is a great idea. was needed. I have not been in an improv group where it had the same artistic director for more than four years. I think that... (laughs) Well, no, and I think that that's how it should be. I, one of the first things I, when I stepped in, was I kind of told the board when they were interviewing me, it's like I kind of I believe in term limits, so at some point we shouldn't have someone who's doing it for a huge amount of time. We need new people to give their opinions because that's how we grow. Because someone else might have a different take on something, and it might be, it might be the right thing to get someone to click in their mind. We were just talking about this earlier today where you you can go over it with them a hundred times and then someone else can come in and teach that exact same thing and suddenly it clicks in their mind. Yeah. 
that's necessary. I don't know why that happens, but certain people can say it a different way or they can reach someone a certain way. So I was fine with passing the torch in that regard. How did I prepare for it? I had, it wasn't always easy for me to do be the artistic director, and I would been debating it. I did it for a year, and I was debating when I should stop doing it after the year was done. And I had different challenges that made it more of an easy decision. And then, then those challenges would pass, and, you know. And I asked people, I'm like, when do I know, when should I stop this? And I had to figure out when I think I was going to be effective. How long can I be effective as this artistic director or leader? If I'm burned out, burned out, and I can't be effective anymore, then that needs to it's someone else's time. Because that burned out, ineffective person is not going to help anyone. It's going to hurt. People don't realize how much work it is to be the artistic director, excluding having to lead the team, excluding all of the trying to find this cohesive artistic direction for a team and rally the cast and excluding all of that. It's still a bunch of work because you're still working with the business side of things. Yeah. Different people are going to have different situations. Mine was, it's an all-volunteer organization, so I had to go to my day job and then do this other job. And there were certain times where I was at the theater six days out of a seven-day week, and that got overwhelming fast. And that's like, you know, hopefully you'll have some some assistants to help, assistant artistic directors who can help take the load off of that, but... It got. I asked people, like I said, when will you know? And they were like, you'll know. Like, that's not helpful. <laughs> but then, you know, you get to this certain point, and I remember it very well, and I'm not sure how much I'll talk about it, that I'd been entertaining this for at least a year. Mm-hmm. When will I know? And there was a certain point during a workshop where we were having a, like a Q&A, let's talk to the troop about what they think about this. And there was a certain point where it was just like a cyclical conversation. It just started to destroy my soul. And I knew. And I basically pulled aside my assistant artistic director and uh, one of the executives of the group and the business manager. After that was done, I'm like, hey guys, I'm stepping down at the end of the year. I've made that decision and Mm -hmm. I gave them the time frame to hopefully find a replacement for me uh, and started moving forward with that. It was literally a thing where I was trying to decide if I was going to win that would happen and I had a thing happen that was a moment of clarity. Kind of this realization maybe that you already knew this thing needed to tap into you and this like this point of this cyclical point of conflict because I experienced the cyclical uh, conversations where it's like oh we're not getting out anywhere right now and everyone's just getting a little extra frustrated because we're not getting anywhere and we're trying to um, and so that's like what is the solution to that it's kind of hard and one of the most immediate actionable things is oh well maybe a new yeah a new voice a new voice could be a solution yeah the problems don't go away of course but at least another framing of what's happening can maybe provide some sort of some sort of clarity that you experience that the rest of the team may or may not uh, need to experience uh, usually may need to experience and it was hard, and that's something I have to try. I'm dealing with now is I'm still a member of that group or the Blue Door, and I'm I'm having they have an interim artistic director who's making decisions, and I've been trying because I've been on a break, just like a vacation, yeah, uh, not to listen to anything that's happening or watch it on the fa- they have like a little Facebook group, like mm-hmm. secret group where we do our business, theater business, trying not to watch any of that 
but then seeing some stuff flash through and I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have made that decision. So, I mean, I want to be supportive of the new person. It's kind of where I'm at at the moment, trying to figure out how to be supportive, but be like, oh, that's not something I would have done. But that's the thing you want is that's that new person coming in and they're going to try something you wouldn't have tried. And will it fail? Maybe. Uh, just like with me when I started and I was like, I'm going to make all, I'm going to try all these, try to do a, an extra workshop on Saturday. Haha, <laughs> no one thought of that. Oh no, they did and tried it and it didn't work. Uh, and I just didn't know about it. Because yeah. then you complain to them later about it and they're like, yeah, I tried that a couple years in a row and it didn't work. Ah! <laughs> so maybe it will fail. But maybe it's the right thing that will solve yeah. that problem or get someone over, get someone to figure out, oh, this is, it makes something click in them. So, yeah, let them do it. Support them in trying it, and they'll learn whether it'll work or not. But at least you're trying something new. How do you think, as a member of a cast who is not the artistic director, what actions do you think those people can take? Because you're kind of in that role currently. Is like, how do you approach what the artistic director provides you in the most constructive way? How do you be the best member of the cast for the artistic director Ah. you can be? Well, being an artistic director and going back to regular cast, I'm still trying to figure out. Like I said, be as supportive as possible. Let them make those decisions. Try not to criticize them. See where they go. It might be the right thing. It's something I learned of what I would like from people as an artistic director, what I would have really enjoyed. Try to to be nice to them every once in a while. Here's the thing. Show show some appreciation. It, I think I would have done a... And I'm not trying to get any sympathy vote. I don't get it. I, I really don't give a fuck. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say this, uh, if this helps anybody who's listening to this. Yeah. Try to show some appreciation. Because showing no appreciation and then showing a token amount of appreciation when they leave doesn't help anything at all. So show appreciation for them in small ways while they're there. You might not agree with what they've decided, and that's going to happen. But they're putting in a ton of work that you're not seeing. And that's something I didn't realize from the artistic director before me. And when I got into it and I realized how much work they were putting into it, I felt like shit. (laughs) Yeah. Because I didn't appreciate all that they were doing. And I made it a point when I found out what it was really like to contact all of my old artistic directors and thank them and tell them how much I appreciate it now that I realize what it's really like. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing you can do, even if you don't agree with what their choices are all the time, is just to say, hey, man, I really appreciate that you're working hard at this. And I know that we don't always come agree on the same thing. And if you respect them, maybe even, hey, I, res- you know, I know we don't always agree on this, but I respect what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think you're, I think uh, I appreciate what you're doing. Otherwise, things you can do. Any note that is given at all, take that note and apply it to you. <laughs> Even if you don't, like, I'm the best justifier in the world. Oh, look at that. He's giving a note to John to work on his justification. Don't be like, I'm God's gift to justifiers. Yeah. Uh, apply that note to yourself and see how much you can gain from that. I think one of the biggest things. I had trouble with was giving people notes and finding how confrontational you need to be. Because I went from a thing where I was equals and friends of the players in my group to being 
their quote-unquote boss who's trying to help them and get them to grow and learn and give them notes to help them. And I come across very different types of people, people who will accept it and, you know, accept it in the in the vein that it's given that you're trying to help and try to do something about it. People who will say, oh, thank you, and do nothing about it. Or people who will get completely offended and hurt that you gave them a note and they're not God's gift to improv and get pissed off. And I'd like to say that I encountered the first one more often than not, but that's not true. And it got to a point where I just had a hard time side coaching people because they would get really, there were some delicate flowers that I was dealing with. Yeah. And then I would get people who were super upset because I wasn't side coaching enough and they wanted more firm and direct <laughs> criticism. And there was just no middle ground. So finding. And side coaching is tricky ground in the first place. Because you need to be able to not to give some sort of input that will help someone in the moment without derailing everything. That's what you would want to do. Otherwise you would just do the note the when end. they're done. Yeah. And you're not side coaching anymore, you're you're directly coaching, if that makes sense. It does. And that's a delicate thing. Finding a happy medium for the delicate flowers and the I need the the firm Nazi-esque response people is that's a hard thing to do and I really wish I could have oh I'm sorry no no no, go ahead I really wish I could have I would have stressed more that every note applies to every person I was less of the firm and I would firm note giver and I would give general notes I would never I never like singling people out but I would give if I saw something that needed to be addressed after a scene I would dress it in a general way that's the problem is I don't know if everyone would take that note and apply it to themselves. Since I didn't specifically name that person, they, in my experience, would not apply that note to themselves because they didn't see that as a problem. So that's a hard thing. That's yeah. one of those things you have to figure out for yourself. And you have to figure out how that's going to work with the people you have. If you have a bunch of delicate flowers, then you cannot go too far into the firm direct note land or you're going to offend people away from being in your group. Is that good or bad? Well, if you offend 70% of your group away, then you don't have a group anymore. Yeah. And you're going to get a mix of people, and you're going to have to find that happy balance, and it's not always easy. In hindsight, is there a way that you wish you had at the beginning started to approach the act of note-giving that maybe would have made people more receptive further down the line or do you think it it was such a case-by-case basis that there was really nothing that you could have done to preempt the reactions that individuals because i know exactly what you're talking about when it's oh i don't know when i give a note how this person is going to react will and or if or the how they will react to the absence of a note well let me i'll give you an example of something that happened we had a guy I'll say his name. His name is F. Tyler Burnett. <laughs> and I respect him, and I think he's one of the best improvisers I've performed with, on top of being a hell of a nice guy. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah he's not a mean person. I have never seen a mean bone in his body. But I had, I had the great opportunity to have him teach classes to my group. And since he's been trained all over the place, including Second City and Annoyance, that's an yeah. opportunity you don't pass up. He was doing a, sh- a workshop where he was giving notes to people, and I was watching it, but I was also having a conversation with the business manager of the theater 
So I wasn't 100% in watching it, but I had a person storm out and quit the entire group. Because uh, wow. they, it's something that was building up for a while, but apparently something he did triggered it. And he, they, the thing they was told to me later was this person thought he was being insensitive and mean and was in like intentionally attacking. And I have never seen that from that man in my life. So how do you deal with that thing? Because this person is perceiving this thing as something that is not how I'm perceiving it. Yeah. And that's the problem. You have people who are going to take things in a different way. How would I have done something in retrospect from the beginning? The whole thing was a learning experience. So the more I did it, the more experience I had, which is, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. That follows. (laughs) But I can't can't say it any other way. Like the first year was all trying to figure out how to do this yeah you had the business team set up the shows for you just like which is i think actually a very smart move now that i think about it is letting the previous members of the board sort of help gradient you into being the artist yeah i think like i said the first couple months i was like i'm kind of that kind of sucked i'm not happy but no i was super happy with it when it came to later in the year it's just something you'll get better at. The first year was a like catch up. And hopefully when you're in a group and that was another learning thing I wanted as a artistic direction choice was to train more people to teach. Train more people to do the things I was learning so that when I left it wouldn't be such a shock in the learning experience and I like this is a year long thing that I'm going to have to get up and running for. And by the end of that year, you have to decide if you're burned out already. So getting people in the group who can take up those roles, if what happens if I died? Well, <laughs> I'm just saying yeah, that, that having people who are somewhat ready to take on that yeah. mantle is very important. So it's a learning experience. What, what would I do in retrospect? I don't know if I could do anything different. I would want to be moved towards more towards the middle where I'm less general note taker and more firm because I've had people I've like I said I've had artistic directors who were way too firm and not as gentle. Finding that happy medium is what I would have wanted. Yeah. How to achieve that um, along with everything else I was doing that becomes problematic because there's a thousand problems to deal with and. You know, one thing I would try to do was go to festivals of improv theater, like in Seattle, um, and learn from other people. Like, I got to take a class with Asif Ronan, who wrote a book on directing improv that is out of print, but uh, might be digitally available, that I would highly recommend people read. Oh, what's it called? I think it's called Directing Improv. Okay, yeah. But Asif Ronan, A-S-A-F-R-O-N-E-N. I also got to see him perform, and he's a brilliant performer. I think that helped me a lot, but he has different suggestions. Um, one of the things he suggests is that if you're an artistic director, that you are not a member of that troupe, which yeah. wouldn't work in the Blue Doors case. But he highly suggests that because you are, if you're in that group, it's harder to lead them and be objective. I see. If you're outside of that group, then you can give them objective notes, and hopefully they'll take them from you in a, in a better way than if you're inside the group and one day you're you're that guy that got drunk and, and 
threw up, oh wait, now he's the artistic director. Yeah. And everyone knows it. I don't know, that's kind of a weird transition to make. This is going to sound extremely condescending, but it's almost oh, lowering yourself uh, into the into the group where you, you talked earlier about you went from being an equal to these people to their quote-unquote boss, where I was like, well, the, the quote-unquote boss, if they aren't removed from the group, then they kind of just still seem like an equal. And then that, that gets to a point where, oh, if you're giving a direct note, some people can take it very personally because it's like, who is, who is this person to be giving me a note? Yeah, and you would hope that you're in a group that is supportive and they're doing everything an improv group should be and they're, you know, they've bonded. Even if you are outside of the group, I think there's something to be said about bonding with them and yeah. being oh, yeah. maybe not friends with them, <laughs> but you would hope that you're close enough that they can take your criticisms to heart and apply them in a good constructive way. But, yeah, he suggests not being a member of the group and I think there's something to be said about that. Yeah. Um, I would highly recommend his book because he talks about a lot of these things. Um, and I have a print copy in a box somewhere. <laughs> and I would really love to read it again, but it's in storage. But I, last time I checked, it was available via Kindle. Ask if you can send me my royalties for, for suggesting your book. Yeah. yeah. I have to. I haven't read that, so I'll, I'll have to. I definitely want to make time and try to go search it out and find it. It was definitely a good thing to read if you're starting out in that role. Whether or not, like all of improv, whether or not you agree with him or not, you have to figure out your own way. I, do, I, I definitely think there's merit to not being a member of a troupe you're an artistic director of, but that wouldn't have worked for the troupe I was in. Uh, that, that would mean I don't get to do improv anymore because there was no other group in town. I mean, there's some smaller ones I could have pursued some stuff with but then one of the rules that i had was that i needed to be promoting the group i was the artistic director of and yeah. i that comes to different follow the rules that your board has given you but always be trying to educate yourself and taking the things that work for you would yeah. be something i would suggest in my ramblings really good no it, that's an interesting idea because i i feel like almost every artistic director that i've experienced has been part of it. I don't think I've ever been personally part of a group where the artistic director, at least in terms of improv, where the artistic director isn't also a performing member. I haven't had that either. Yeah. Um, I think that's a lot more common in uh, Chicago, New York, maybe okay. Austin, because he's from Austin. I see. So those bigger cities where there are groups aplenty, because I came from a weird city where there started off being two groups and they were rivals. And then one group folded, and then they got all accepting of each other. Yeah. What, what city was this? This was, is Spokane. Was this, this was Spokane? Oh. There was I, there was a Blue Door Theater, and then there was a Comedy Sports. And oh, for yeah, that's some right. Reason, that's right. some reason, uh, some of those people intermingled, and somehow they got off to a weird start and became like a rivalry, and there was some bitter feelings and then when I came to Seattle and I've come to this festival and see how supportive these different groups are of each other and how they intermingle it blew my mind yeah but you know if you're like trying to be a supportive improv group where you yes and each other and you're trying to make each other look better why wouldn't that apply to improv groups in your community I can see when you're trying to fight to exist but wouldn't it seems like if you were all supporting each other then that just raises everybody up exactly I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird... It was a weird smaller town dynamic in... I'm still trying to put a finger on how that all started. Yeah. 
I think maybe it's it's from looking at the immediate consequences of having two opposing theaters versus the long-term consequence. Because if there's two improv theaters in Spokane, that means that there are more people in Spokane, ultimately, who are uh, experiencing and engaging and understanding what improv is. And so when a person goes to one improv theater and they enjoy it, they are more inclined to go check out the other improv theater. I think that is, is sort of overshadowed by the fact of oh, we're both doing a show on Friday and that person who's in a seat at your theater could have been in a seat at my theater. That's definitely what probably it was, but I think there were some hurt feelings on other sides oh, of see. things. But I think that an improv community, and maybe this is easier said than done, should be like the improv group. You should be supportive of each other and, you know... That's what yes and? Cross-promote. Like, damn, have a night where you... Have a night where you have a half-assed theater sports thing where you're challenging another group to, I don't know, do stuff, intermingle. Yeah. Be supportive. Uh, God, that goes back to art, you know, being artistic versus existing. And, you know, it's easy to get into that mindset of uh, there are competition and they're stealing seats and money. But I don't know if that's exactly true. Yeah, it's, it, that's a short-term way of looking at it. When you really when you were talking about the business manager, that was my mother, right? Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. <laughs> that's the weird thing about you know the our group in, in town is she's like the business manager and an executive on the board. And yeah. She makes that place run. Yeah, she does. No, that's that's a. A very underappreciated. And definitely, if you have someone who works that hard for you, show them appreciation too. Yeah. That would be a good thing to do. Um, I don't know what else to offer. I just am super excited that you're doing this, and I would have loved to have heard a podcast like this when I started. Yeah. Like, of several artistic directors and what they're. And I'm really looking forward to you going around doing this and listening to it. Even though I'm not doing that anymore. I mean, yeah, when I had the idea for this podcast, I went out of my way to try to find a podcast that's doing this. And I was actually baffled that there's there's not really... I, I couldn't really find any. There's definitely podcasts that are interviewing people in regards to theater and performance. But oh, there's yeah. not really there's not really any podcast that is... Uh, specifically for artistic directors and artistic direction and i'm just yeah i mean you're thank you for being i'm honored to have you as the first episode i'm honored i am honored adam i've had so much fun improvising with you over the years we've done so many shows same with you sir yeah yeah seriously it's been a it's been a blast so it's like of course i couldn't think of about i could think of three better people that could <laughs> <laughs> I see that makes me feel better because I, I know you're not bullshit yeah, <laughs> yeah I won't name their names but um no uh it's, oh that's alright I'd probably agree with you yeah, yeah, yeah if, if I did I won't um <laughs> uh is there uh, do you have any uh, personal plugs do you have anything that uh that you would like to get out to the listeners uh of like any personal projects or maybe just plugging the blue door or? I'm you know, yeah, hey, if you're in Spokane, Washington, go check out the Blue Door Theater. Uh, you can find their website. Make sure it's not the porn one. Oh, yeah. I don't know which one that is. You'll find out one way or the other. I think www.bluedoortheater.com is yeah. the right thing to look for. I think I, I remember the porn one, and I was just curious to see if it was still up. And so I went back to it, and I think it's down now. Oh. I think it, I think it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> well, maybe that maybe that's better. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, oh, there's also a porn site that's very similar to our theater, which is. Um, um I don't have too much other things. Uh, uh, there. Oh God, I don't even know. 
You can cut this out if you want. No, uh, but if you do put this in, don't put me hemming and hawing about saying it. There's another thing I'll plug. Oh, cool. Call, uh, there's a podcast network uh, called Pants Pending Studios that has a bunch of podcasts. Not really uh, artistic director related, but they're interesting and fun podcasts you might enjoy if you want a lighter subject. Yeah, just some comedy. Yeah. Do you have, do you have a specific podcast you want to recommend? No, <laughs> I'm so bad at self-promotion. No, it's um, all good. <laughs> I'm in a podcast called The Hustle. Not safe for work. <laughs> I love that. Like, that's the tagline. Yeah. <laughs> not The Hustle. Not safe for work. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, I don't have other things to plug other than that, but I totally am excited to for this one and to hear yeah. more people talk to you about these things yeah well thank you so much adam for just coming on and sharing um this has been the artistic director with jacob alexander ferg you can find out more information about me and my podcast at jacob and i'm on sound soundcloud and itunes so this should be we're recording this mid-february and i'm hoping to get it up uh before april Oh, okay. Uh, cool. So that's around when I think this podcast is going up. But again, thank you so much. Oh, sure. Any last uh, last things before we sign off? Uh, donate money to this man. <laughs> I don't know how that'll work. Go onto his website and give him money. Yeah, th- maybe something will happen. <laughs> if All not, right. like and share this on iTunes. Yeah, that that's that's much better, much better. All right, thank you so much, Adam. <laughs>